Father in heaven, we thank you for just the thrill and joy of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have fellowship with the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, we just pray that you will help us as we explore some of these vital and important things in the Christian life. Help us to grasp and understand the, the mechanics of it all, not so we can live a mechanical life, but so that our lives might be supercharged with your own power as day by day we are yielded to your control. And Lord, we would just pray that this group especially will become a key group in the fellowship of this church in the change that comes about in their lives so that they in turn will minister to others in changing the patterns of life. We just praise you for what you can do. And so we commit ourselves to you for the purpose of serving you with our whole heart. We'll just give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Most of us as believers in Jesus Christ have experienced in our life defeat from a pattern of sin that uh, has developed sometimes before we were believers. Um, sometimes it develops when we are living in carnality after we became believers. But there are certain habits of life that become almost like a sixth sense. And we respond to those habits and do them often automatically without much thought or much decision-making. And then afterward, when we recognize that it is certainly not in keeping with the Christian life which we have, certainly not in keeping with the standard of God, uh, we find ourselves guilty and defeated and miserable. Not only that, but after failing time and time again on those sorts of sins, and no doubt, at some point along the line, you, you make the discovery of that marvelous verse, 1 John 1, 9. And uh, <clears throat> in the process of that, you discover that what God wants us to do is call what we are doing sin. And uh, the word confess implies that because the word is homo legeo. Homologeo means to, homo means the same. Logeo is the verb which means to say or to give a message. And um, so it's to say the same thing. And um, not only that, but um, that can be boiled down to agree. Sometimes people <clears throat> think in terms of, of confession as being a lot of weeping and a lot of, a lot of feeling sorry for their sin and that sort of thing. But that's not the implication of that word. There's nothing wrong with feeling sorry for your sin. There certainly is a healthy thing uh, to feel badly when we've sinned. Psalm 51 certainly reveals that that was David's attitude. He knew that it was against God and God only that he had sinned. And therefore, uh, he had done that evil in, in God's sight. And he was agreeing with God, but at the same time with deep repentance. There's, there's nothing wrong with, with having that take place. But the word, as given in 1 John 1, 9, doesn't even imply that. It merely means, in a very pragmatic and very uh, clear way, that you recognize that the thing is sin. And having done it, you say to God, I agree that that's sin. And uh, God gives you a promise that when you agree concerning that sin, that he forgives and he cleanses. Now, that's the, the thing that's involved in, in the matter of confessing, according to 1 John 1, 9. And the whole text is talking about the fact that, yes, we do sin. Uh, there, there, are, there are periods of time in our life where, where we sin, where we do those things that are not pleasing to God. 
and uh, sometimes uh, those things are are something of a of a, um, a slip. Uh, we're overtaken or surprised by a fault. In other cases, it's a habit of life, as we are speaking of here. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind that when you tell God that uh, you have sinned, you name that sin to God. God, I, I did this, and then you name it, and uh, you call it sin like God calls it sin, that instantly God forgives you and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You're just as clean as clean can be when you have taken care and dealt with that sin. But you know you as I know me. And you discover that the, at first you just feel so great. And that's emotional, I realize, and it's subjective, but there is a feeling involved. You feel great. It's marvelous to be cleansed. And uh, I've, heard, I've heard the testimony of, of people who, who, who I have personally prayed with, um, and they have applied 1 John 1, 9, and, and they understood that when they are cleansed, that the power of God's Holy Spirit fills them like, like uh, air fills a vacuum, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit takes, in that moment, control of their life, and they, uh, they have a sense of God's presence and a sense of His glory and a sense of sins forgiven. It's a wonderful thing. But I've seen that same person, and I've done it, and you've done it too, go out and ten minutes later do the same thing. Now, that doesn't mean that the power of God's Holy Spirit is deficient. It doesn't mean that the cleansing power of God and His forgiveness is deficient. But rather, often it is a developed pattern and habit of life that needs to be changed. God wants us not only to accept his forgiveness and cleansing, but to begin to walk in the light in a very positive way. And uh, so after a repetitive pattern of sin, confession, forgiveness, sin, confession, forgiveness, we begin to believe that there's no lasting solution. It, it seems as though, even though I have applied what Scripture clearly says in terms of confession, um, nevertheless, it's no more effective than that abortive New Year's resolution that we broke before the football games were over on New Year's Day. And it seems as though there's no hope, at least in this area. And many Christians at that point just say, well, this is an area where I can't have victory, and they continue to live in defeat, occasionally confessing, having God's forgiveness and cleansing, going right back and doing it again. Now, because this is such a problem, we, we want to tackle this a little bit tonight, and then we want to talk about the changing of life's pattern, how we can begin to restructure our lives so that our lives can, can, uh, be, uh, can avoid these kinds of habits of continual sinning, or chain sinning, as some people call it. There's a, a clear teaching in God's Word on this, on this subject. The Bible teaches that when you become a, new, uh, become a believer in Jesus Christ, you become a new creation. God recreates you. He makes you a new person. And uh, yet, because we have this same body, uh, a body that the Apostle Paul called in, the, in Philippians this vile body, which will be changed and made unto his glory, like his glorified body. Um, the, there in Philippians, when he's talking about that, Paul uses a word. Vile is probably a good translation. That's what the King James has. Perhaps better it would be this body of humiliation. Uh, to explain that further, it would be this body which is subject to sin and the pull of sin, the gravitational pull of sin, and uh, the power of the world and the influence of Satan and that sort of thing. Uh, he, 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 he saw his physical body as, as an enemy in that regard, that, that this body was locked in to a pattern, uh, a pattern that was difficult to break. So he called it this vile body or this body of humiliation. Uh, he also spoke in the book of Romans about the Lord delivering us from the vicious cycle 
of sin and death. Uh, we've done a lot of research in this area in, in counseling and keeping track of uh, some of the things that were happening with people. And we discovered amazingly that people operate on cycles. And uh, they're discovering this in, in uh, the, matter of, uh, the matter of sleep habit. Uh, if a person is accustomed to staying up very, very late on a particular night of the week, then sometimes they will find it difficult to go to sleep on that particular night of the week, even though they're very, very tired and they want to go to bed early. Maybe you stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning every Friday night. If you do that on a regular basis, uh, sleep therapists have, have discovered uh, that there is something habit-forming about that. And so a Friday night comes along and you feel very, very weary, very, very tired. You think you're going to go to bed early. You lay down on the bed and you're used to going, 10 uh, going to bed at 10 o'clock every other night of the week. So you figure you can do it on Friday night. And here you are on Friday night, wide awake, and you say, good night, I have insomnia. And uh, people can't understand that. But you see, our bodies, our physical bodies, are very, very subject to habit. That's why a person who is involved in, in an affair as the world calls it, maybe in an adulterous relationship at a particular point in a year, and then is delivered from that, and they go clear through the year. When they come to that same time in the year, sometimes they fall again. And I've talked with people who have gone, uh, have left a habit, uh, and they have, they have gone a, a whole year and then they fell again, and then another year, and then they fell again, and then another year, and it's almost always on the same month and sometimes even the same day. And I wonder how in the world can that be? But there is something about the physical body that is subject to habit. And you see, if, if a person is able to get over their hump so to speak, a weekly, a weekly pattern or a monthly pattern or a, or a, uh, a pattern uh, yearly or any other, any other period of time, if they can begin to get over the hump and develop in that area a new pattern, then you see they can be greatly helped. Um, this is one of those things that's, that's difficult to uh, talk about, but I think it's, it's maybe in a small setting like this we can get away with it uh, because it is very, very important. Uh, a girl, a young girl, uh, will begin to have her menstrual period, and it's generally the same time every month. And she will begin to get real, uh, real crabby, real ornery, and she'll, she'll do that the first time. If she is allowed to get away with an attitude problem, during that time, even though she may be miserable physically, she has a certain amount of control of how she responds to it. Do you understand? She may have a serious problem and may be very, very miserable. But if she, if she begins to develop a pattern like that, she will have that pattern every month for the rest of her life. Unless something can break the pattern. Why? Because the physical body is very subject to habit and to set patterns. And therefore, a part of learning and growth in the Christian life is to develop new habit patterns, to develop new thinking, to develop a new lifestyle. We were talking Sunday morning about homosexuals. And uh, in dealing with a good many homosexuals over the years, I have discovered that they absolutely have to revolutionize their lifestyle, their habits, the things they do, the places they go, the, the, the way they spend their mornings, the way they spend their afternoons, the way they spend their nights. They have to totally restructure their life. It's the only uh, way for people to be delivered. Obviously, God can deliver them from that dreadful sin. But it requires, on their part, a changing structure, changing friends, changing the, the pattern of living, changing their lifestyle. And uh, a person can be marvelously delivered when they begin to change that pattern. They're discovering 
in uh, organizations like Alcoholic, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, Gamblers Anonymous and um, uh, things like this where they deal with people who have a habit pattern that is ingrained into their, into their life, they discover they have to restructure their life. They cannot just stay the same, doing the same things, going the same places, being with the same people. There is a pattern, a habit, that has to be restructured. It's very, very, uh, very, very important for us to understand this if we're ever going to be delivered from habit. But now you're a new person, but you have the same physical body. And that, same, that physical body is subject to habit and the uh, satisfying of certain appetites and so on, sinful habit patterns. And there has to be a change in activity. Now this is clearly illustrated in Ephesians 4. I want you to look at it. We were not studying Ephesians 4. We did study this when we did our study in Ephesians on Sunday morning and we mentioned this pattern, but um, we want to carry it a little bit further in our study on Wednesday night for the next uh, several weeks. If you look at Ephesians 4 beginning at verse 25, you will notice that these people, already Christians, are commanded to stop an activity which is current in their lives. Now, re remember, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians bring us to the loftiest heights of, of spiritual life. Uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking to these people in such ethereal terms, speaking of the marvels of God's wonderful grace and how God's grace has delivered these very people and how they've been redeemed and how they've been adopted as, as full, mature sons, etc., etc. All of these things are involved. These are marvelous, marvelous Christian people. But whenever Paul uses a present a present tense with an imperative and a negative, he is always commanding somebody to stop an activity which is presently going on. And to these marvelous Christians, he tells them, stop lying. Stop lying. Now, can you imagine that? Here they were talking on uh, deep theological subjects and worshiping God in a, in, a, in a manner that exalted him in every way, and yet they were not telling each other the truth. They had developed a pattern of lying so that they would leave the church on Sunday having worshiped the God of truth, and they would go to work on Monday morning and when somebody asks them a question, without even thinking or making a conscious decision concerning it, they were telling a lie. Because lying had become a pattern of their life. We had a fellow at um, Prairie Bible Institute when I was attending school there. Let me say first of all that at the time I attended Prairie, every two weeks we would come into the dining hall and we would draw numbers um, and be, by those numbers be assigned tables. And we would stay at the same place in the table for a two-week period. And uh, you always remembered that night because that was the night they also had soup and cold cuts. And uh, so every two weeks you would, you would have a new group of friends. You had no choice as to who you sat with. And of course the boys sat on one side and the girls on the other. And our side was painted blue and there's pink. And um, we used to look across and call that the promised land over there on the other side. <clears throat> Those are just little sidelights about my time at Prairie. But nevertheless, I, I just about got expelled from that school for having a hole in the knee of my bathing suit. But uh, <clears throat> in any event, um, all that aside, we had a fellow that I sat with at um, the table, I think, two different times during the course of the school year. And uh, I uh, found him to be an amazing fellow because when, uh, whenever uh, someone would, would say, uh, you know, uh, my dad just bought a brand new Cadillac, this guy would say, oh, Cadillac, I've got three of them. Thought, wow, that's really something. First time that happened, you know, it was, it was, pretty, uh, it was pretty impressive. 
But then when someone said that they had a, they had a uh, uh, airplane, uh, you know, he had six of them. And uh, we, uh, uh, a bunch of us guys, we were in high school at the time, and, and uh, we weren't very nice always. Uh, and we got our heads together and we put these guys, this guy's story together. You know, he owned every car that was ever made and all the airplanes that you can imagine and, uh, and so on and so on. So we begin to add up what this guy owned and we discovered he was the richest guy in the world. I remember sitting at the table one day and, and uh, he, somebody was talking about the summer before they had worked in a coal mine and they turned to him and said, uh, you ever been in a coal mine? And this guy kind of, um, well, no. He said, uh, my uncle owns a gold mine. It's the way it always went. It didn't matter what it was. Well, now, to make a long story short, this fellow was a psychopathic liar. And when they began to try to deal with him, they, they, they discovered that without any real conscious thought or decision, when anyone ever said anything, he always bettered it with a lie. He had a pattern of lying. And it's something his parents should have dealt with many, many years before and didn't. And it just continued and continued and continued. He eventually had to leave school and get some very intense help with this particular problem. But he was a psychopathic liar. Now, I, I don't think that everybody's a psychopathic liar. Maybe we're close to it sometimes. But if you, if you allow a pattern of lying to be ingrained into your heart so that whenever something happens you think you have to retaliate with a lie you can begin to lie without really con any conscious effort and your your lips will just speak forth lie after lie after lie and if you someone challenged you and said said that's a lie you probably wouldn't even remember the details of the things that you said. That's what they say about a, a person telling the truth. When you, when you tell the, nothing but the truth, you don't have to have such a good memory. But if you start lying, you've got to remember all those lies so that when the next lie comes along, you, you can keep it in order. And this fellow, as I said, had, had dug his hole so deep because he was changing places every two weeks, meeting a new group of people, and going through the same routine. My dad brought a, brought a new Lincoln. I have three of them. So he's got three Cadillacs. He's got three Lincolns. You know what I mean? And went on and on and on. And he was hardly aware of how dumb it made him look. See? If he'd realized how dumb it made him look, he would have at least tempered the lies. But it was so ingrained, he was doing it without any great conscious thought. Well, now, the Apostle Paul is dealing with people who have a similar kind of a habit pattern. Maybe not that extreme, but they have that kind of a habit pattern. Now listen to what he says. He says, therefore, laying aside falsehood. Anything that is false, you're supposed to lay it aside. And then what are you to do? You see, he does not say, just stop lying. But rather, he says, here is the best way to stop lying. Speak truth. You got it? Speak the truth. Speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. You began your lying habit by a conscious decision at some point to tell a lie. Probably then to support the lie with another lie. And later to support those lies with a further lie. Again, the next time around... When something else came up, you made a conscious decision to tell a lie. When you did that, you told another lie and another. And you did this over and over again. At first, the only way you're going to tell a lie is by a conscious decision. But sooner or later, it becomes to the place where no conscious decision is necessary. So in order to break the pattern of lying, you have to make a conscious decision to tell the truth. And one of the motivations to help you learn to tell the truth is, keep in mind, we are members one of another. Because we are a body, because we are a group of believers ministering together, it does you harm as well as your neighbor whenever you tell a lie. There's no room for lying. 
you stop that sinful pattern. All right. The next thing is this. Be angry, which is a legitimate anger, anger at sin, but nothing but sin. And yet do not sin. Now there's nothing wrong with allowing anger to come forth at sin, but when you get angry at people, it is sinful anger. Therefore, you are to stop all sinful anger. Now how can you how can you stop all sinful anger? Well, you change your habit pattern. Instead of being angry, you make certain that before the sun sets that you are going to make sure that the anger has been dealt with. You deal with every incidence of anger and make certain that it is not sinful anger. Don't let the sun go down upon, upon your wrath. And for a further motivation, it tells you that when you do sinfully anger, get angry, that you are giving a foothold to Satan in your life. Now that gives you a further motivation to deal with it. The third thing is this. Verse 28. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Stop stealing. You say, my, this were, these people weren't very good Christians, were they? Well, they had a habit. And I want to tell you something right now. Before you get too self-righteous, I think it's good to say this. They're lying. They're getting angry. They're stealing. It's probably not nearly as bad as some of the things that you do as a pattern. So don't jump on their case. Don't be too self-righteous. Because every single person struggles with former habits. Some have victory over a long period of time, but let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Whatever you do, don't ever think that you can let up because Satan is always seeking to establish new wrong habits, new sinful habits, and to resurrect the old ones. And some people can go along for a long time. I, I remember a few years ago, a man was having, he, he was a, a fellow that was a real fine Christian. He had come to the Lord and had, had uh, gone on with the Lord, but he had a habit that he would not give up. And it happened to be the habit of smoking. And um, he would continue to smoke. And finally one day he realized what a poor testimony it was. And... Um, he asked the Lord to deliver him, and he never had a desire for a cigarette from that time on. Just boom, it was gone. Now, not everybody can handle it that way. It happened to be that that was the case with him. And he continued to go on, and he became an officer in the church and uh, was serving the Lord in every way. And one day he was with a friend, and the fellow offered him a cigarette. And he wasn't even thinking. He just, just unconsciously reached out, took it out, lit it. And when he took that first puff, he realized what he'd done. He thought, my goodness, I don't smoke anymore, you know. And, but he, it kind of felt good. And he thought, well, I'll just finish this one. And he finished that cigarette. And when he finished, he wanted another one so bad. And he said, Lord, deliver me. Guess what? The Lord didn't. <laughs> The Lord, it was as though the Lord said, I delivered you supernaturally the first time. Now, buddy, you're on your own. You go ahead and do it. And he couldn't break this habit. At the time that this happened, he was the pastor of a church. And he was going off behind the barn, so to speak, sneaking his smokes. And then all of the breath stuff you have to use and get rid of the smell. He didn't want his wife to know it. He sure didn't want his church to know it. But here he was, caught in the grip of this thing. And for a year, he struggled and struggled and struggled. Until finally, God delivered him. He began to change a whole habit pattern. Began to say no. Um, Dr. Lutzer has an excellent little book, How to Say No to a Stubborn Habit teaches some of these same ideas um, and, and yet in a little different uh, light. And, uh, but he finally learned to say no to this stubborn habit and was delivered. And ultimately, the thing that broke it 
was when he confessed to his church that he is their pastor had fallen back into this sin. Fortunately, the church was very helpful and very supportive, and uh, he is still in the ministry today and uh, occasionally listens to some of my tapes, so he may even be hearing this one sometime, and he knows who he is, and I know who he is, but you don't know who he is, so we're all right, all right? But it's a marvelous thing, a marvelous thing when God delivers, but oh, just realize that your body is subject to habit and habit patterns can can become so vicious in our lives well in any event notice again verse 28 let him that steals steal no longer stop stealing now here's the cure for stealing but rather let him labor let him labor performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need now some people say, well, if this works, then the work programs in prisons ought to work, and they don't. The difference is because we're talking about believers here. When a person accepts Christ as personal Savior and has his habit patterns changed, he can be delivered from it. If a person simply tries on his own to change his habit patterns, he can't be successful in that. But the greatest cure for stealing is to teach a man to work with his hands, hard labor, and... At the same time, teach him to be generous. You change from a thief to a generous individual. You work hard and you give a portion of what you earn by hard work. You give it away. Believe me, when people are become generous, they are no longer thieves. You have to be certain that you change the pattern of living. Now, it goes on and says in verse 29 that you're to stop any unwholesome words, any kind of, of speech that you have that's injurious, any gossip, any slander, any malice, any of those things. And instead, you become an edifier. You use your tongue rather than for negative, for positive. You build people up rather than tear people down. That's the pattern, all right? And uh, the purpose is to minister grace to those people. That gives you further motivation. And the Spirit of God is grieved when we do these kind of overt activities. Again, in verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you with all malice. Instead, become a, the kind of person who is kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Those are the contrasts that are given. Now, we could study this in a lot of detail. It would be a lot of fun because there's some excellent ones there. But uh, all of this is tied to what has just come before it in verses 22 through 24. Now, look at it, if you will. That in reference to your former manner of life, your former manner of life, your former habit of life, your former lifestyle, all right? In reference to your former lifestyle, you lay aside. The word to lay aside actually is a word uh, that, that means to strip off like dirty clothes. You get the picture if you, if you can remember the last time that you did a real grubby job and you were just filthy from head to toe and you had these old clothes on that you knew good and well that if you put them in the corner they'd stand up they you know they were gooey and sticky and dirty maybe from a painting job or being underneath the car or something like that and you could hardly wait to strip them off and get into the shower that's the idea of the word here and then in contrast to that you're to put on something as you see in a moment it's the same idea it's the putting on of the fresh clothes now, there's such a difference in the old dirty clothes and the fresh clothes. So it says, in reference to your former lifestyle, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Those are the, those are the dirty smudges on those old clothes. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You've got to have a mind change. And you put on the new self like you put on new clothes which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. You do the things that are right, 
the things that are in keeping with the fact that you're set apart, the things that are in keeping with truth. And it's no wonder when you have the, the old, which is corrupt and dirty and lustful and so on, and you have the new, which is righteous, holy, truth, it's not hard to see lying is over here, truth is here, stealing is over here, and giving is here, you see, and work. So you see, there's the pattern. In other words, you must, you, you must confess your sin. You must agree with God that, that what you've done is wrong, that, that it's a sinful pattern, it's a sinful thing, it's a sinful act. And He'll forgive you and He'll cleanse you, but now you must do something different. You must have an alternative. You must be doing that which is pleasing in the sight of God, that which is in keeping with righteousness, holiness, and truth. Now, you have the same picture given to us in Colossians chapter 3. Let's turn over there a moment. This is all introductory to what we're going to be, going to be doing in these days, but we want you to get the introduction, the foundation, so that we can go from there. This is a fascinating passage. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 5. Notice the, the old self described here. Before we start talking about putting aside and putting on the new, it says in verse 5, Therefore consider the members. Consider, give some logic to the members of your earthly body as dead. You, mentally, you have to make the transition that your body is no longer uh, made no longer designed for immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. So they shouldn't be a part of your life, because now you're under grace rather than under the, the condemnation of God. And in them you also once walked. Now, walking, peripateo, is a word that means an ordered course of life. In other words, a habit. You walk. That's why you're to habitually walk in the Spirit. You are to habitually walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You are to walk in love, habitually, peripateo. It is a, it is a pattern of living. You, walk one, you used to walk one way, now you walk another way. So it's the same basic idea, only using different terminology. In them, you also once walked when you were living in them. You walked in them when you were living in them, when that was your pattern, when Satan was in control of your life, when you were not living for God, when there was no, you were without God and without hope in this world, when you were by nature children of wrath. Though that's the kind of pattern that you had. Don't ever be surprised that you have people that are unbelievers, that are immoral, that are greedy, etc. Because that's their pattern, that's their lifestyle. But now you also, notice, put them all aside. Lay them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth, don't lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with the old, with the all uh, its evil practices, stripped it off, and have put on the new self, put off, put on, who is being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, non-circumcised, bar uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all in all. And so then it goes on in verse 12 and says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against any, just as the Lord forgave you, so 
should you, and beyond all these things, put on, notice the put on again, love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and allow the peace of Christ to rule in your heart, which indeed, uh, to which indeed you are called in one body, and so on. goes on and talks <coughs> about all of our words and deeds. Now, some of you are probably familiar with Jay Adams' um, little charts and some of the things that he uses in counseling. We use some of them here with our counselors. But Jay Adams calls this pattern de-habituation and, let's put it this way so I won't have to write it again, down here, re Habituation. Development of a new pattern. A new life pattern. Now, with that, you have the idea of the habits to put off. And habits to put on. Want a plus here, want a minus there. You go from, from one thing to another. You change your habit pattern. You change it all. So he suggests that you put the DE here with a whole list of things that need to be changed, and you put the rehabituation here with a whole list of things that need to be changed. Things that need to be put off, things that need to be put on. You'll find that sometimes they are, like they are in Ephesians 4, the negative exchange for the positive. Sometimes it's simply a matter of recognizing that something needs to be put aside. There may be an alternative to that immediately seen, maybe not, but there are other things that can be filled in there even though they may not be direct opposites. Now, it's Jay Adams that uh, points out some interesting things about this whole matter of changing habits. And uh, I just want to share this with you tonight because I think it will help us formulate our thinking as we talk about some very specific things that need to be put off and some things that need to be put on in our Christian lives. But there are seven elements that may be involved in this. The first is that we have to become aware uh, of the practice that has become a habit and needs to be put off. There's a lot of times things that have become such habits that we just don't recognize that they're there. Sometimes it needs a good faithful friend. You know, the, the, the wounds of a friend are more blessed than the kisses of an enemy. And our enemies will tell us, oh, you're all right. You know, I'm okay, you're okay type stuff. It's only your friends that will tell you, hey, guess what? You're not okay, and neither am I. Those are the friends, the real friends. Because um, we, we, we need changing. We need to be made more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to realize that though friends may be helpful on this, ultimately it's God who is going to make clear what is right and what is wrong. Uh, you know that pattern that is given so beautifully in the uh, book of Hebrews, where it says that if you, are, if you are on milk, then you're going to be a babe and you're going to be unskilled in righteousness. But if you take strong meat, then you're one of mature age who by reason of use, there's a key word, it means that you not only hear the word, you appropriate the word. By reason of use, you have your mind conditioned to discern both good and evil. It's the mature person who can recognize sin far enough away so he can avoid it very artfully. And so you need to mature in Christ. And I never minimize just the aspect of maturity. You need to come to that understanding of, of what it is to mature in Christ and and take in his word. Now, most people that come on a Wednesday night are people hunting for meat, and we hope to give you some. But let's just keep it in mind. 
a habit of life becomes a habit because you become comfortable with it. It's become somewhat automatic, and you often do it without any conscious thought. And because of that, you need to search your heart constantly, not in a introspection, not saying, oh, I wonder what I can find wrong with me today. Not that way. But you need to be examining every deed you do, every word you say, every activity of your life, and measuring it by God's Word. I, uh, I can uh, recall a story I read a number of, of uh, uh, years ago about a little boy who very excitedly came running into his mother and said, Mother, I'm nine feet tall. And the mother said, nine feet tall? How in the world could you be nine feet tall? Well, he said, I made myself a ruler, and I measured myself by it, and I was nine feet tall. Well, you see, anybody can be nine feet tall if he makes his own ruler. But you can't be nine feet tall if you use the standard measurement. And if you measure yourself by yourself, you measure yourself against other people or by a rule that you have made up, you're always going to appear better than you are. God wants us to take the plumb line of his word and show how crooked we are, how desperately we need him, how desperately we need to be lined up. And so remember that you have things in your life, no doubt, that are ingrained there. Maybe just uh, the way you, you, you treat your wife or your husband. Maybe they're kind enough not to say anything. And yet, if you measure it by God's standard in, say, Ephesians 5 is an example, you fall far short, right? Maybe it's the way you gossip. A lot of people get so spiritual about their gossip, they call it a prayer request. And yet they can tell anything they want. As soon as they've said, I want you to pray about this matter, it frees them to say any negative thing. I, I, I want you to pray about this because I just heard that so-and-so did such and such. It's gossip. And you see, if you measure that according to God's standard, then you see you're going to come, you're going to find yourself wanting. So you see, you have to be sure that you examine your motives and your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes and your words day by day by the Word of God. So that's the first thing. You have to be aware that there probably are in your life certain sinful habit patterns that still need to be changed. And you may not even be aware of them, but God's Word will make you aware of them. Second thing, you must discover a biblical alternative. For an example, you, you ever read in James chapter 5 where it says, Don't swear by anything, neither by heaven nor by earth. But then it right away tells you what to do instead. It says, instead of swearing by heaven and earth, let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, you don't have to be all mysterious and mealy-mouthed about this thing and say, oh, I swear this, I swear that, and I swear the other thing. What you need to do is just be so straightforward and honest that when you say something, you are bound by your word. Your word is your bond. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't swear by things. You see, the Jews had a, a terrible way of dealing with things. They, they, they had this. They, they could swear by heaven. They could swear by God, and it was binding. They could swear by the temple, and it was binding. But they could swear on their mother's grave, or they could swear, they could swear on the earth. They could swear by a number of other things, and that meant... I don't have to really keep that if I don't want to. Now, isn't that dumb? I mean, everybody knows if you swear by heaven, you've got to keep it. All right? At least they were supposed to. So they very carefully avoid swearing by heaven. Instead, they'd swear on their mother's grave, which is a common word even today. I swear on my mother's grave. Or I swear on a stack of Bibles. You could swear on a stack of Bibles. It wouldn't make any, any difference. You didn't have to keep it anyway. So a man would say, this is the truth, I swear on a stack of Bibles. The guy would know it's a lie. See? And James says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you say it, make sure it's the truth. You don't have to worry about all of this other deceptive kind of stuff. It doesn't work anyway. Another one is this. Um, Psalm 1. 
Uh, Blesses the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now there's three things you're to avoid, see? You're, you're, you're not to, not to, uh, I can't even think of it in my mind. It blesses the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. First of all, you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. All right? But, but, you're not to do those things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, so on. You see, so there's an alternative. Now, you can't, as I said, always find a direct opposite, but you can certainly find things that are much better to do than those other kinds of activities. So you discover the biblical alternative. Thirdly, you have to restructure your life for real change. Um, there's a passage over in Proverbs. Maybe you could turn to Proverbs 14 for a moment. This just illustrates it so well that I think it's worthwhile taking the time to turn to it. Proverbs 14, verse 7. Now this is only part of the picture here, but it does illustrate what I'm trying to say. Notice what it says. Leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern the words of knowledge when you hang around with people who are stupid dense like the word means here if you if that's the kind of people you associate with all the time you are going to pick up a foolish point of view I think that uh, even in, in terms of, of um, young people in college, um, our college campuses have so many fools in them. And they go to college and they, you know, they're foolish professors and they're foolish students. And before long, you know, your kid comes home from school and he starts spouting all this foolishness. And you say to yourself, oh my goodness, what's happened here? I mean, he had, his, he had his act together, everything was straight, and yet he has heard this foolishness over and over and over again. And you see, what needs to be done is there needs to be a balancing element. If a young person doesn't, doesn't have some Christian companionship, if he doesn't have uh, devotions and read good books and all of that, at the same time he's getting a college education, he is going to be swayed. And he's going to begin to think things that are so foolish. One of the things you have to do, and it's hard to understand how to do it, but you have to get the, a young person who's been involved in a cult, you have to get them away from that cult, or they'll never get their mind straightened around. You can't just leave them there and hope for the best. It's not going to happen. And it's, it's, it's given rise to all kinds of kidnapping and deprogramming and all of the rest because the, the young people just get in further and further and further. If you're, if you're with a fool, then you're going to think foolish. And so you have to break that pattern. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to reach the fool in that sense, but you, you've got to be careful that you've got the balance. Another passage over in Proverbs 22, um, Proverbs 22, verse 24. Do not associate with a man given anger or go with a hot-tempered man. That's a good verse for any girl that wants to date a guy that's got a temper. Tells you not to go with him. All right? Lest you learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. There's a tremendous influence when people uh, have, have wrong habit patterns themselves and you're with them a great deal of the time, then those patterns can begin to rub off of you unless, of course, you can be a positive influence on them. So you have to restructure your life and you have to structure it for change. And that sometimes means uh, uh, breaking past associations. One of the things we have to tell homosexuals to do, they must break those past associations. There's no way that they can stay in that kind of a situation. And uh, uh, partly because Scripture tells us to flee lust. You don't toy with lust. Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? 
Of course not. And so you have to flee it if it is in the area of lust. So you have to break the pattern. But the same thing is true here in terms of fools, in terms of angry people. You have to be very careful of that. The fourth thing is this. You have to break the links in the chains of sin. Sin, pattern, habit, is like a chain. I used to do an illustration uh, with children in a lot of the children's ministries I've done through the years where I'd have the toughest, strongest boy in the bunch come up and I would put his hands together and I'd tie a strand of thread around his hands and say, can you break that? Of course, just like that. So we'd put two strands around. Can you break that? Yes. And then three. Yes. A little harder that time. Four. And we'd keep breaking it. If you're strong enough, you could get maybe even ten times around with this little flimsy thread. But after that, now, he's trapped. And that's like habit. You break the first link. Easy. If, if someone does something sinful, the first time they do it, it's easy to stop. Second time, still relatively easy. Third time, still relatively easy. But sooner or later, it becomes a pattern that you can't break. And so you have to realize there is a way to break it, strand at a time. You've got to break the links in the chain that bind you. And so you have to, you have to very carefully make sure that you develop habits by stages. You have to discover the stages to recovery. I often tell people that when they have a bad marriage, they've been fighting for 20 years and hating each other the whole time, and they come and they want me to have a quick cure and save their marriage by noon tomorrow. You know, I tell them, hey, look, it took you 20 years to get here. You've got to give me at least 20 years. And they say, oh, oh, oh really? That long? Well, after all, I mean, let's be fair about it. Now, I can almost promise you that we can cut that 20 years down a little bit, but it's not fair for you to say it doesn't work until you've given me 20 years of changing that pattern because you have developed a pattern for 20 years. Give me 20 years to develop a new pattern. And you say, but I'm not happy. Big deal. You weren't happy the other way and you made yourself miserable. I'll make you happy 20 years from now, okay? But give me 20 years. You know, people just, they, they think that is so stupid and yet they don't realize how stupid they are when they refuse. Because you develop a pattern, you've got to break each one of those links. And it does take time. Remember that in that, in that uh, uh, passage in Hebrews that I mentioned a moment ago, Paul said, or the writer to the Hebrews said, I tipped my hand there, whoever wrote Hebrews could have been Paul, might have been Peter, might have been somebody else. But uh, in any event, the writer of the Hebrews said this, considering the time, considering the time, the time chronologically, since you have be become a Christian, you ought to be eating meat rather than milk. There is a time factor in growth. But you can have the time factor, you can have enough time and don't eat the right kind of food and you won't have the growth, you won't have the maturity. But there is a time factor that's involved. And so it takes time to break the links. The fifth thing is this. You may need help from others. This is where the idea of accountability comes into the picture. Remember that, that uh, uh, pattern that, uh, in Ecclesiastes 4 that talks about the fact that, that two are better than one because if you fall, you don't want to be alone. You want to have someone to pick you up and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, it's the same basic idea. You sometimes do need the help of others. And uh, it's good to have a friend who will be honest with you about some of the things that you're struggling with. And then six, you need to stress the centrality of one's relationship to Christ. It's a very clear thing. There are a number of, of things that are involved, and we'll be talking about some of these as we go along. But first of all, just think of the worthiness of God. God deserves your whole heart. He's worthy of that. And for you to, to develop a pattern or continue a pattern that's not pleasing to Him, 
is, is really grieving Him. And He's worthy of better than that. We need to come to a new depth of understanding of the worthiness and the transcendence of a holy God. It'll help us a great deal. We also have to, have to understand His plan in conforming us to the image of Christ. God wants us to be like Christ. Not yet. Notice that? You're not like that yet, but you're in process. So let him conform you. And then another thing is eternal perspective. You need to think in terms of what, how this action will affect eternity, not just time. Don't, don't live for the moment. Live for it with eternity's values in view. And what happens is when those things are in order, you, you have all of the activities of your life Really, you know, I could just start naming things. You could name them, your, your, your work, your play, your social life, your intellectual life, all of these things that are part of, of your life, all of the things that you do. It ought to be centered in Christ, Christ affecting every area of your life, every detail of your life, your, your life in Christ being the center of it all. You see, sin was the center before. And God wants to put Christ at the center and let him be the control of your life. So you need to stress the centrality of a relationship with Christ. This is where it starts. And then out there, all of the activities of your life are rearranged and changed as Christ is in control of your life. And then, number seven is this. There is a need for consciously, volitionally, practicing a new pattern. Just doing some things that are totally different. And so what I want to do in this series is I want to talk about some of these things. Now, obviously, there are hundreds, literally. In fact, in all the lists in the New Testament uh, of things we are not to do, just the lists, not the individual ones, there are over a hundred things. Um, and some of them are quite obvious. Um, I want to talk about some of the, maybe the more sneaky ones. And they're all going to begin with the letter P, I think out of about 15 of the negatives, uh, things like uh, pride, presumption, procrastination, pessimism, these kind of things that are negative. And then I want to talk about some of the positives as well, like uh, pardon, like uh, purity, like peace, like prayer, like patience, some of those things. And uh, these are the things that we put off, and these are the things that we put on. And I'll be drawing, like for instance, when we talk about pride, we'll have over here humility as an example. Uh, that, but here on the other side, we probably, we will uh, talk about pardon, not in connection to pride, but in another vein altogether. So they're not going to correlate all the way across. We'll be giving the alternatives for these negatives, but we'll also be considering some of these positives. I don't want to give you all negatives. I don't want week after week after week come in here and say, okay, now here's the next thing we have to lay aside. Rather, I want to talk in the positive vein and the negative vein, beginning with the negative. Some of them will overlap. Uh, but I want to deal with these things and talk about them because I want, I want it, uh, the series to be very practical, very helpful, and I want it to, to bring real growth into your life. And I hope that you'll bring your friends, and I hope that you will um, encourage them that even though they may have a sinful pattern in their life, there are solutions and there are answers because God gives us His Word. Just in closing, let me give you these words. The word of God is very clear. When it to us doth say, walk circumspectly, without fear, God is with you each day. Why circumspectly, you may ask? God answers loud and clear. To each of you I give a task. Fulfill it, or else fear. Be not deceived by self and sin. They'll hinder you each day. Yield all to God. He'll help you win and lead you all the way. The thing that we want to do in changing life's patterns is 
teach you some of the things that might hinder you in the Christian life and some of the things that are going to help you. We want to set you free so that you can be the person God wants you to be. May it be so to His own honor and glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you've given us tonight just to see how these, these patterns have developed and to realize that there is a solution. There is a breaking asunder of the bonds that have held us. Lord, we pray that you will help us to learn what they are. And though we may not talk specifically about the, the need in, in each person's life, because we don't know what those needs may be, Nevertheless, Lord, we know that you can take the word and apply it to specific situations and deliver these people from a sinful lifestyle and a pattern and a walk that is not pleasing to you. Help us to take the baby steps that are necessary in the Christian life and to get on to some real walking in faith and love and circumspectly and walk with you all of the way in the light as you are in the light. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Continue that work until Jesus comes and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Good night.